Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we've gathered to worship you, to sing praise, and to confess, and to pray, but also to hear from your word. That we might respond to it and be shaped more into the likeness of your son, our Lord, Savior, and King, Jesus the Christ. We ask this all in, our, in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, one thing that Megan has or does is that, um, and this is totally a generational thing, that people my age and younger, um, it's just how life is now. But she's a part of several Facebook groups um, for moms. So she'll just be on there, and it's a place where moms will share things about pregnancy. Or, and there's diff- every group has its own focus. So she's a part of these Facebook groups. But one of the benefits that I receive out of these Facebook groups is that women will share stories about their wife, or boyfriends and husbands. And when these, they share these stories, they make me look a whole lot better. Right? You understand what I mean? So she might be upset or frustrated about something, but then she'll read this story and share it with me. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm not doing that, so you should be pretty happy. <laughs> right? And I'm sure that even before Facebook, that, that every generation had a way of doing this, of, of comparing themselves to other people and, and finding uh, comfort in knowing that that everyone's marriage has challenges and every relationship has good and bad things. But what's interesting is we sort of think this way about, about life. We sort of compare what we've done with other, against what other people have done. Or we'll know someone in our family who, is, who has always been the one who's been the most disruptive and caused the most trouble. So compared to them... Whatever it is that we do looks like insignificant. And that can make us feel good because we can say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not my brother, I'm not my sister, I'm not my cousin, I'm not my deranged uncle that no one sees. So I'm doing pretty well. Right? We all know that person. We all know there's been times in our life where we've compared what we do to other people and we thought well, I'm not too bad. I feel pretty good about myself right now. Now, it turns out that is not something that people have been doing just in the last couple hundred years. Turns out, I think it's probably something that people have always been doing. And we're going to look at this story in the chapter of, or in the book of Luke today, and we're going to see that people were doing this exact same thing in the days of Jesus. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, I think the bulletin says 31 through 35 or something. It's Luke 13, 1 through 9. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to take a look at this story. So this is how the story begins, starting in verse 1. Now now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. 
And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? So Jesus, since chapter 12, verse 1, has been teaching to a crowd. And the nature of this teaching, if we look at chapter 12, starting in verse 49 through 59, so the section right before this one, Jesus starts to talk about judgment. So judgment becomes the topic, and what happens is someone who is present with Jesus starts to think and says, you know what, I remember this thing that happened in in Jerusalem a while ago. Maybe this is related to judgment. So this person asks Jesus, did you hear about these people whose sacrifice was mixed with their blood by Pilate? Now what that is saying is that there were some pilgrims from Galilee, which is where Jesus was from, which is, if you think about the Holy Land, we had a map here. That's north, and then Jerusalem is south. So they would come, they'd do a, it would be a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple. So Jesus, or uh, these Galileans, are in Jerusalem, and Pilate, the Roman prefect, who is basically an appointed leader or um, He's basically put in place to simply keep the peace and to oversee all of the Roman interest in that region. So Pilate's there, and for whatever reason, he sees these Galileans as a threat. So while they're in Jerusalem to make sacrifices, they are executed. Which means that Pilate probably viewed these people as a threat to the peace. It was very common for Roman procurators prefects, client kings, who is Herod the Great, to use violence to deter people from wanting to uprise against Rome. So this is not uncommon in the days of Jesus. They all knew the stories about this happening. And so what's going on is this person is asking Jesus, were these people killed because they were more sinful than other Galileans? And Jesus is actually the one who interprets that because he's the one that asks, well, do you think that these people were worse sinners? Now, there's a reason that the Jewish people thought that. There's some passages in the Old Testament that talk about people who will receive justice or judgment based upon their actions. So this wasn't without precedent in the time of Jesus, and it was part of their religious tradition. But is this something that we often think about today? Anyone here ever talked about karma? Right? I mean, we use the word karma. Karma is actually, it's from, uh, I think, Hinduism. I should have looked that up before I tell you. It's It's from a different religious system. And the idea basically is that you get what you receive. If you do good in life, you will receive good. And if you do bad in life, you will receive bad things. And the idea is that you want to build good karma so you're reincarnated to have a new life, to get closer to being set free from life. Um, so karma is very much this idea of you get what you deserve. And 
And I think another one that I've, uh, and I've heard this here, and not in our church, but growing up in this community, I think this is the way we sort of think. And I was trying to think of an example. Um, so this is just one, and I don't mean to overstate this or upset anyone, but um, I know I've seen before whenever you see a teenager who's been pregnant, that people will talk about how well, they get what they deserve because they made those decisions. It serves them that that would happen. And maybe you've never actually said that. Maybe you've thought it. Maybe you've thought about teenagers who make poor decisions and then they get what they deserve as justice. And maybe it's not pregnant, teen pregnancy. Maybe it's someone, there were some kids when I was in high school who got um, caught at parties and they lost most of their junior or senior year of athletics because of that decision. And we view this as justice and will people get what they deserve. And we talk that way. So we're riding within these, this idea of you get what you deserve based on your decisions. So let's see how Jesus answers this question by this man. Verse 3, this is what he says. So Jesus, remember, just asked this question. He just asked, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? Then this is his answer. He says, I tell you... No. And this is what he says next. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus looks at this person asking this question and he says, It's not just the people who you believe deserve justice and deserve to have punishment and deserve to suffer. It's not just those people. We all, you all need to repent. It's easy for us to look at other people and to compare ourselves. And to say, well, I'm not doing those things, so I must be a better person than them. But Jesus, knowing that that's how humans think, and understanding that there was some Old Testament teaching that could lead people to think that, even though that teaching was more about Israel as a community, if they are faithful to God's law, God will be faithful to them. And if they are not faithful to God's law, then he is not obligated to be faithful to them. It's part of the agreement that God made with Moses and the people at Mount Sinai in the, in the wilderness. It wasn't necessarily about individuals, it was about a group of people. But within that group of people, all need to repent. We all must repent to escape the judgment that's coming. Now, this is not a popular thing to talk about in today's world. People don't like to talk about judgment. They don't talk, like to talk about people who are sinful. But the reality is that we're all sinners. Which, to be sinners is to be two things. For one, it means that our position with God is in one of needing to be redeemed or changed. So 
with God, we are just, there's something in between us and God in our relationship. And then second, it's not just a position, it's also something that we do. We sin, we make decisions that we know are against God's will. Or the way he made the world to work right and the way that he made us to live. So we are all sinners and we need to repent. So Jesus' message needs to come loud and clear to all of us. Repent, judgment is coming. There's urgency to what he says. And he goes on in verse 4 and he gives another example to drive this point home. Starting in verse 4, Jesus says, Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? So Jesus gives another example. So Siloam was this region in Jerusalem where there was a pool and there was an aqueduct, which an aqueduct is this, this giant, I'm only telling you because I never knew what an aqueduct was and I would sit in college classrooms and the professor would be talking about aqueducts and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So an aqueduct is, well, in that time it was made out of wood, but nowadays we'd have these giant pipes. It just brings water from one place to another. So they had this aqueduct in Jerusalem that brought water into the city for this pool where people would bathe. And it was close to the, the temple, or not the temple, but the city walls. So Jerusalem, I've never been there. If you go there today, there's walls. And you can see the different layers of walls from different time periods. Well, this, these walls that were there, apparently they were doing something that the, part of the wall collapsed. And 18 people, probably people who were working on the wall, were killed. So Jesus says, do these 18 people who were in Jerusalem, are they more sinners than anyone else? Because this accident happened to them. So this time it isn't, it isn't Pilate acting because of something that the people did. It's a complete accident. They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But is this judgment... And again, this is Jesus' answer in verse 5. I tell you, no. And here's the urgency. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. We need to repent. Or we too will perish. Lent is a season when we reflect upon the need to repent. Repent, judgment is coming. So for Jesus, there is urgency in this need. Repent, judgment is coming. Now if we were to stop here, this sermon might feel like an old time altar call. Fire and brimstone. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't stop the story here. He continues in verse 6. Now what he does is he now tells a parable. Now what parables are supposed to do is create an image for us of what it looks like in a world in which God is king. So imagine a world in which this happens. Starting in verse 6. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
All right, so we're going to stop there. So this starts very common for the Jewish people, this story. Fig trees were everywhere. It's like, if we think about fruit trees in our area, what, I mean, apple trees, there's probably more pear trees. Those grow here. They grow here easily. You don't have to do a lot of work. Now, if you go to Florida, it's the same with, you know, maybe um, an orange tree. But in Jerusalem, in the ancient, or in uh, the first century Palestine, which is the area of Jerusalem, fig trees grew. And it didn't take a lot of work to grow a fig tree. But now this fig tree is not like the, the, the apple tree you have in your backyard that you don't pay attention to. And you might see if there's apples on it and maybe it, you risk eating one. But you don't do any work to make sure the apples are fruitful, the tree is fruitful. This is a, a fig tree that's inside of a vineyard. So this vineyard is an intentional place where people work. And the, the trees and vines that are in this vineyard are cared for so they can produce fruit. So the whole point of them being there is so they produce fruit. Now this, this tree has not produced fruit after three years. So the owner of the vineyard has been very reasonable in waiting for this tree to produce fruit. And based on the story, all we can say is, well, most likely the tree should have been able to produce fruit. So it was mature enough. Maybe it had produced fruit in the past. But for three years it hasn't produced fruit. So what the owner says is, well, I want you to cut down the tree. Which is a wise decision if you're a farmer or a gardener. And we don't have a lot of farm and garden things that are yearly. We plant them every year. But if you have a tree in your orchard that isn't producing fruit, eventually you're going to say, well, I'm not going to continue to use up this space and the soil and all of the, the resources that go into this because it's not producing fruit, so I'm going to cut it down. That's just being wise and using resources wisely. So this is not an uncommon story so far. But starting in verse 8, we see where the twist comes. So imagine a world like this, where the man working replies to the owner. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So... The worker who's hired by the owner to care for the vineyard decides to stand, on, stand up on behalf of this tree. And he tells the owner, give me one more year. I will give this tree extra special attention. I will dig around it and put manure there to fertilize it. And hopefully then it will produce fruit. And if it doesn't, you may then cut it down. So there's some things to us that sounds like a nice story. But now for the people of the first century, it would have been unexpected. Because fig trees did not require a lot of work. So if you were going to have to give it extra special attention, it was not worth your time. You did not dig around fig trees and fertilize them. It was just not what they did. They didn't need to. Fig trees grow, grew on their own. They didn't require a lot of work. So for this hired hand to suggest this, he's asking his owner or his um, supervisor 
to let him give a tree special attention that's going to take away his attention for all the other trees and vines in the vineyard. So you have that orchard and there's a hundred trees in it. And you're going to spend a lot of extra time on one tree and have to neglect 99 other fruitful trees just to try to make one more tree fruitful. This is the world in which we imagine God's kingdom. A place where God has unfruitful trees who need to repent. But he withholds judgment to give that one tree a chance to become fruitful. God has the power and the authority to cut us down or to remove us to give room for people who will be fruitful. But the world of the kingdom of God is a world in in such a way that God is patient for unfruitful trees. And he wants to give them one more year, one more year. He's going to work the soil. He's going to work in their lives. He's going to try to stir in them the desire to become fruitful. Because God is patient. And maybe we could argue he might be, by some people's standards, making a decision that people would say is insane. Giving people a chance when they've proven him time and time again that they don't deserve any more chances. But he's going to be faithful. Just like the people of Israel in the wilderness, he will be faithful even as they need to repent and as they rebel. So Jesus has these two, he has this encounter where he talks with people about the misconception, misconception that when you make bad decisions that you will have justice and judgment brought against you. And he says, no, we all need to repent. And we need to repent because judgment is coming. But he balances that out by saying, but imagine a world in which your God is patient And works in your life to make you fruitful. He's withholding the judgment that he rightfully can give because he wants to see you repent and become fruitful. So this is Lent, and I've talked about talked about this earlier. And Lent is the time where we reflect upon our need for Jesus to come. It's a time when we can reflect upon our sins and our need for a Savior. And for a lot of us, we might have repented of our sins a long time ago. And what I'm not telling you is that you have to re-give your life to, to Christ or that you need to fear that you haven't repented the first time. Because repentance isn't just about that initial repentance. It's about a life of repenting and coming back to God and looking for him to fertilize the soil around you so that you become fruitful. So maybe there's areas in your life that you need to address. Some sin that you need to own up to and turn from. Maybe there's some sort of trauma in your life deep down that you've been pushing and not looking towards. That's keeping you from being completely fruitful. And you know what God might be doing? Is stirring that. 
working the ground in that spot in your life that you know you're turning from, you're hiding from, you're running from. And he's saying, I want to make you fruitful. I want to stir in you in that spot that you need to repent. Repent judgment is coming. Lent is about reflecting upon our sins and repenting. So today, where is God stirring you to repent? What things in your life do you need to deal with? What things in your life do you need to push into? And then come out on the other side. This is something I've been learning a lot about in my life. That there's things that we hide from and we turn away from and we ignore. But when we get close to God and the people we love, those things start to almost ring in our ears. Because we know that they're there. And the only way to get rid of those things is to go through them. Which means bringing them to God and bringing them to the people that you need to bring them to. And bringing them to wise people and trained people who can help you then work through those things. And on the other side, there is freedom and there is fruit. So I'll say I don't have the answers to problems And for a lot of people, things like this become a need for counseling, a need for the people in your life, people who are trained to work on challenges, whether they're addictions, whether they're past trauma. And as a pastor, we get a lot of education about a lot of things, but we don't push deeply into anything. But I want you to know that I am a safe place for you to talk. I will listen. I will not judge you. We all have things in our lives that make us feel as if no one can know who we really are. If people knew who we were, they wouldn't want to be around us anymore. But we all have those things. So I want you to know I'm a safe place. I'm not going to go tell people. I'm not going to call the elders in and we're not going to have a meeting where we talk about how you need to have church discipline. If you're coming to me, it's because there's something in you that is stirring that you want to be set free. And that begins with a conversation, and then it begins with a plan, and it begins with repentance, and it begins with pressing into God to heal you and bring you out on the other side. A person who can bear fruit and a person who can live free of that sin. Repent, judgment is coming. Lent is the season where we reflect and we prepare for Jesus to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we think about the things in our lives that we're hiding, that we don't want to face. Maybe things that we didn't even do, the things that were done to us that we're still shameful about, even though we had no control in the circumstances. Lord, stir in us today those things. May we repent and turn from them. May we return from the sin that we've caused and the sin that other people have caused in our lives and turn to you so that we can be made into whole people who bear fruit for your kingdom. We ask this all in your son's name, 
who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.